Hi, thanks for joining us for this message from Red Church in Melbourne, Australia. We pray that you're blessed by it. If you'd like to know more about Red Church or its ministries, or if you'd like to support us financially, you can find out more by heading to connect.redchurch.org.au. Well, good morning. It's a pleasure to be able to speak to you today. My name's Tom Gibbs, if I haven't met you. Um, I'm going to start a stopwatch. I am a school teacher and I am prone to getting sidetracked and getting on tangents because I get very passionate about things. If you ever want me to rant at you for the next 10 minutes, you can just ask me a question about the Renaissance and there we go. Um, But if I haven't met you yet, it's great to meet you. Um, I have been an apprentice minister here at Red Church uh, for a couple of years, and then last year, my wife Nicola and I head to Adelaide for a year, where we both studied uh, theology for a year, which was an absolute delight. But now we're here. Um, Is anyone here from Adelaide? Okay, one person, heaps good. I respect this. I've alienated the rest of you, but here we go. Um, so I'm back here. We, uh, I'm helping Trudy, helping set up 24-7 Prayer Australia. And my job really is to see this church grow as a prayer culture. And I'm really excited about that because prayer is the foundation of renewal and prayer is the foundation of every, everything we do at church. So that's great. And I'm going to begin with prayer. Um, God, I just thank you that uh, we are all dependent on you. And I thank you, God, that you approve of me. So I have nothing to prove. I have no performance measures to tick, that I can trust you and entrust this sermon to you. And I pray, God, that you would help me to faithfully deliver your word that I've been able to feast on this week. And God, that we would all be able to feast on this and it would bring you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, last week, Mark spoke about the moment when God met Moses at the burning bush. And God made a declaration to Moses, I am. God revealed his name as I am. And core to this revelation is that God is holy. And this is wonderful news. See, there's lots of anxiety in this world. There is a lot of crisis, but God's holiness means there is no anxiety in him. He's set apart. He's secure. And in him, he is holy. This is why we can cast our fears on him, because he is holy. He can take care of it. I'd love to give you a little thought experiment. Imagine every time that maybe you cast a bit of your anxiety on God or every time God heard something anxious, it just made him that little bit worried. I know as a school teacher, sometimes people will come to me with a pastoral care um, problem and, and it just gets you a little bit. Maybe you just feel that little bit kind of upset or anxious multiply that by 8 billion times and God would be an anxious mess, but he's not. So what is holiness? 
It's easy for our idea of holiness to kind of fall into these false childhood images that we might have adopted. Maybe this kind of nasty rule maker or this teacher who's kind of constantly trying to get you back in line or a measuring stick that we never match up to. But I want to propose this. Holiness is actually something we all crave. It's the self-differentiated, non-anxious presence of God that brings calm and healing to the world. And it's a healing that you and I long for. So I want to talk to you about holiness this morning because God's holiness and God's Holy Spirit is the agent to see renewal in the world. You don't need me to convince you that our world is in a form of crisis. There's political polarization, wars, and rumors of more wars to come, climate change, social disconnection, just the revolving door of competing moralities and culture wars. And crisis has leaked into the walls of the church as well. Leadership failures, abuse of power, moral failings. Around the world, celebrity culture has creeped into the church's doors and it's causing havoc. A couple of weeks ago, I had COVID and lots of time to myself and I started scrolling Facebook, which is never a good start. And it started to hit me in a new way where I was realizing the people I looked up to as a child, I remember like leaders who I trusted have lost faith. They've given up. They've been entangled by the crisis that's in the world and it's hit them. Maybe this is your reality too, that people you have looked up to who spurred you on to follow Jesus might not be the support that you're hoping for. Our cultural crisis has leaked through the walls of the church and we have to ask this question, is my faith dependent on the faith of others around me or will I stand on my own feet? In a culture of compromise, God is seeking a holy remnant. We are called to a holiness that is disentangled from the unhealthy emotional systems around us. It's this set apartness, this holiness that enables the church to be a healing presence in the culture. But how do we become a holy people? Compromise and corruption runs deep in the veins of this world. We don't just need a triple bypass. We need a heart transplant. It's a big work. We don't just need a revival. We need a reformation. So how do we, at Red, become a holy remnant? How do we become a people of renewal? Well, let's look to scripture. We're going to look at Ezekiel 36. First, I want to give you a bit of context for this. Israel was in crisis. 
They were a displaced people in exile under a foreign and brutal political leader, Nebuchadnezzar. And we're looking 686 BC, he plundered Judah and Ezekiel was one of the first to be deported north, away from the promised land. Surrounded by foreign gods and compromising to competing idolatries, ideologies, Israel was corrupt and they were compromising. There was no way forward. In the midst of systematic compromise and cultural crisis, God promises a surprising renewal. Let's read. Ezekiel 36, 22. Therefore, say to the Israelites, this is what the sovereign Lord says. It is not for your sake, people of Israel, that I am about to do these things, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you have gone. Brutal. What is God saying here? The work I'm about to do is not dependent on your good deeds, but it's based on my name, on who I am. So how's he going to do this work? Let's read on. I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, the name you have profaned among them. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the sovereign Lord, when I am approved holy through you before their eyes. God here is saying that your compromise and corruption has defiled my name, my reputation, but God is about to do a surprising hook move that will prove him holy. So what's God going to do? Let's read on. For I will take you out of the nations, I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. You see, bit of context, in Genesis 12, God said to Abraham, to your offspring I will give a land. Israel, Abraham's offspring, is in exile. They're in foreign lands, but God is, re- is promising a return from exile. But it doesn't stop there. It gets better. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors. You will be my people and I will be your God. God is making a new promise to Israel. I will put my spirit in you and it's, not, it, it's going to bring transformation to your heart. My Holy Spirit will reshape your love and longings until you are compelled to be my holy people. So my first point is this. When God's people are in crisis, God says, I am. 
You see, history of Israel begins with a promise. When Abraham and Sarah couldn't have a child, God said, I am. When Israel was under Egyptian slavery, God said, I am. When Joshua conquered the military superpower of Jericho with musical instruments, it wasn't because of these weird frequencies or vibrations in the walls and and there's been theories like that. No, it's because I am sent him. The crisis of Israel's rebellion stood diametrically opposed to God. In the midst of this rebellion was, I am. Renewal is the overflow of who God is. I've heard it's a tricky business drinking water on stage, so. All right. When he moves, make no mistake, the bowels of hell begin to shake. We were just singing before. Israel is a nation prone to rebellion, but in its history, we see hundreds of renewals. I am called Samuel. I am called David. I am called Elijah. And none of these are great people, but they are called by the I am. They weren't called because of their qualification. They were called because of who God is. And here in Ezekiel, we begin at one of the greatest points of crisis that the nation of Israel ever saw. They were worshipping the sun. They made false alliances with foreign powers. They rejected God and experienced the consequences of exile in a foreign land and with foreign customs and a foreign God. But God does not reject them. He actually restores them. That's why he says it's not for your sake O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name. So I am collides with Israel and he promises, I will show you the holiness of my great great name. So what happens next? My second point is this. Corporate renewal begins with personal renewal. Now, we've heard this a lot. It's a Terry Walling zinger, I think we call them here at Red. Um, Terry Walling came here a few years ago. If you haven't yet met him, he's worth listening to. And Israel came across a barrier and had a problem of idol worship. So what was God's solution? I'll give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. The corporate renewal of God was to flow from a renewal of the heart of God's people. So what is the heart? The meaning is the same for us as it was back then. It's the seat of your desires your affections, your love, and your longing. But what's the heart for? It serves something beyond itself. I invite you maybe put your hand on your heart and feel the beat. For the last 10 minutes, you probably haven't noticed your heart, but it's been serving you. Its pulses 
is giving life to the veins of your body. It's enabling you to live. The heart is the seed of blessing and it brings life and it gives flourishing to your entire body. So when God says, I am giving Israel a new heart, he is putting a beat in the heart of the nation that enables them to bring life and flourishing and blessing to all nations. This is a fulfillment of God's promise to Israel in Genesis, where he says, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. God's personal renewal is for the sake of corporate renewal. God promised to renew Israel's heart so they could bless the nations. So how does God renew the heart? My third point is this. The Spirit was sent to bring about the renewal that Israel couldn't achieve. If you read your Bible from cover to cover, you will see the cycle of Israel's striving. They were called to be a holy nation. God gave Israel guidelines for holiness. About 800 years before this moment in Exodus, God had given the law, he'd given the Torah, he'd given guidelines to Moses, and Israel responds, everything that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Confidence. Yet from Exodus to Ezekiel, we see an 800-year cycle of Israel's attempt to be a holy nation. And you know what? They couldn't do it. Israel's righteousness was dependent on God's action. So God says, I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. At the same time in Israel's history, the prophet Jeremiah declared a new covenant. God said, I will put the law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. It's amazing that God is speaking to two prophets at the same time about the same thing. Israel's righteousness could only happen through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. Now, Ezekiel here is pointing to Pentecost. In the liturgical cycle of the church, we've just celebrated Easter, the death and resurrection of Jesus, and we are waiting for that Pentecost moment where the Spirit comes, flames of fire on people. But it's the 21st century and the Spirit has come. So why do we keep striving for renewal in our own strength? You see, the greatest lie that we've been told by secularism is that you can renew yourself. Where did this lie come from in the Western world? In 1883, French philosopher Frederick Nietzsche, who coined the phrase, God is dead, predicted a crisis in the West. The crisis he predicted was that one, that without a Christian vision, the West could fall into a vacuum of nihilism, where there's no meaning to life and time. So he proposed that we need to create a new myth a myth that we could aspire to. Yesterday, I caught up with my uh, German sister-in-law and I asked her how to pronounce this word because I'd only read it. 
hopefully I've got this right, the myth of the Ubermensch. Ubermensch. Hopefully no one's scoffing at me back there. But it's the myth of the superhuman that we all long to become. And Nietzsche said that this Ubermensch is disciplined, he's powerful, he's self-determined and he's setting his own boundaries. And yes, it was gendered at the time. He's a Napoleonic conqueror and he's a charismatic leader who leverages the herd instinct of his followers to chart his own path. And with this myth, we see the promise that's pervaded advertising and media in your world today. You can will yourself into greatness. You only need a new career, a new job, maybe a, a vacation or something to make your own path, set your own destiny and become great. You can will yourself into power. You can will yourself into renewal. But we have to ask ourselves, how effective has striving for renewal been? We can't strive our way into personal renewal. At the early stages of lockdown in 2020, Red preached this series on Come Back Stronger. And I remember at the time I was super motivated. I just thought, all right, we're in lockdown. It's probably going to be great. Who knows how long it'll last. And so I set this kind of running regime and clean eating program and creative writing tasks. And three weeks later, it all came crashing to the ground. Maybe you know what this is like. And I have to admit that the gap between my resolution and action plan towards my own greatness and its crumbling is just getting smaller and smaller. Have we come back stronger, though? I propose we have come back stronger, but the strength is in the fact that we have recognised our limitations and weaknesses. You see, it took Israel 1,000 years to realise that they could not self-determine their way into holiness. Maybe it's time for us to learn from their mistakes. So if we don't strive for renewal, what do we do? Two thousand years ago, Jesus hung on a cross, and he achieved the work that you and I can't do. And this is not just a future hope, but the Holy Spirit was sent to bring about the renewal in your heart that you can't achieve. The Holy Spirit wants to trade your stony heart for a heart of flesh. Will you let him do it? As I was preparing, I felt to speak to three groups in this room. Group number one, some of you are in crisis. And like Israel was in crisis, it seems like there's no way out. The Holy Spirit wants to bring you hope. Holy Spirit is comforter. 
I believe that in the midst of your crisis, God wants to give you a revelation of who he is. I am. God wants to give you a taste of his holiness. I think there's another group, and for that group, some of you, the crisis has led to disappointment and compromise. Maybe you know that you're not living the holiness that you long for. or Maybe you're caught up in old habits and frustrated with the lack of change in your life, and it's easy to come to a point of disappointment. Sometimes the heart can feel calloused and cold, but God wants to trade your stony heart with a heart of flesh. God is saying, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. So there's an opportunity to taste and to see that God is good. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. It's his goodness that leads us to his holiness. And the third group is that maybe you've had that deep desire to be an agent of God's blessing to the people around you, but you're exhausted. Maybe you've been striving in your own strength and you want to bring change in the world around you. You want this renewal. But maybe your heart isn't as soft and malleable as it once was. God is saying, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Let's allow some space for the Holy Spirit to do some work. I invite you to stand. If you're sensing that the Spirit might be moving, and you want to respond, I encourage you, just put your hands out in front of you. God wants to trade your heart of stone for a heart of flesh. I just pray, Holy Spirit, would you reveal right now, what do you want us to give to you? What stone do you want us to hand over to you? And we thank you, God, that you are a good God. There is no condemnation in you. So we ask, what stone do you want to remove from us? And what do you want to put it in its place? What heart are you giving to us? Pray, Holy Spirit. Would you renew our hearts? Would you reshape our loves and longings until our hearts love and long for you? I'm going to pray just this one blessing from 1 Thessalonians over you. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
He who calls you is faithful and he will surely do it. 